can open your Bibles or leave them open if you've got them there on the side uh, to 2 Timothy chapter 3. You have the words of life, that phrase that we've repeated, uh, the words of Peter, actually. Peter responding to Jesus in John chapter 6. Jesus has been uh, given some hard teaching about the bread, the bread of life. And Jesus says that he is the bread of life and you need to feast upon him. And uh, many people react against his teaching and begin to leave his, his presence. And Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, do you want to leave too? And Peter says, where would we go? You have the words of life. There's nowhere else to go. Uh, in 1933, this little group here called Grace Church started, and they have on the cornerstone over here, uh, the older part of the building, um, from Philippians chapter 2, holding forth the word of life. Or the word can also mean holding on to the word of life, and we decided we'll take both. We're going to hold on to the word of life as we're holding it forth. The words of life. In 1933, the, the name was Grace Church. By 1950, it became Grace Bible Church. Um, so, last couple weeks, um, based on some conversations with, with the elders and in, in our council meetings, as well as uh, uh, last spring retreat work that we had, um, we've, we've understood and determined we, we need a continued gospel emphasis and we need to be able to be capable enough with the gospel to share it naturally comfortably so we spent a couple weeks on what is that gospel what is that gospel well we're grace and our, our name it kind of is based loosely on 2nd Peter 3:18, that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. We, we're here as a people to know Christ and to grow in his grace and then to go for his glory. And the going might look like sharing the gospel. The going might look like serving and living out the gospel in our relationships and in our places of work. And we, re we rehearsed the gospel. And it's really just the story of Jesus. He's the victor. He's the conqueror over sin and over death. It's a, it's a message. It's good news. A message of triumph and victory because Jesus has come. The incarnation, the crucifixion, the resurrection, his ascension back to the glory, and his consummation, his coming again. That, that's the good news. That's the story that we rehearse. Well, we find this revelation in the Bible, in the Scriptures. And if Bible is our middle name, Grace Bible Church, then names mean something, right? What, what does it mean and why is the Bible so important? Why do we gather around the Bible? Why is a significant portion of our time and gathering around time in the scriptures, in the word. Why, why, well, we just, we just came out of 
All Saints Day and All Saints Eve and actually Reformation Day, right? October 31st. And the heart cry is that our salvation, we're justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as he's revealed in the scriptures alone, for the glory of God alone. The scriptures are where we are given this good news of Jesus Christ. This is as we have sung and prayed, opening our eyes and our ears that we would see the glories of Christ, the living word in the written word, the Bible. Why is this Bible so important? Well, there's internal evidence for why it's so important. And we could get, we could get even more technical, I suppose. We'll try not to. I want, to, I want to explore what the Bible says about itself and be so captured by its beauty and revelation that we understand its authority. In 2 Timothy, we, were, we read that chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing and his kingdom. I mean, that's a pretty solemn charge, isn't it? Paul writing to Timothy. And this is it. Preach the word. Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Rebuke, reprove, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Preach the word. This is a foundation point for who we are. This is why the Word is a key part of our gathering. He, he wrote Timothy earlier, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse, 3, verse 13. He says, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. The public reading of Scripture. So important, crucial, as our gathering in our life together. And this, this becomes a distinctive for us at Grace Bible. We have a time devoted to reading the Scriptures and then expounding upon the reading. You could go to any number of churches these days and gatherings and not have an actual portion of reading of the scriptures. Now, we don't follow a particular uh, you know, rigid form, but we often have something related to our text that we'll be looking at together. Maybe uh, an Old Testament parallel that goes with it or a New Testament parallel if we're like in the book of Exodus earlier this year. And then we try to have a psalm that wraps it together, brings out the theme. Now, here's a, here's a challenge for you. Uh, through the readings, see if you can identify what those themes are. Pay attention, listen, and, and have a game with yourself. And then uh, after service at your eve afternoon meal, like, well, what theme did you hear in the scripture? Right. It's important. Acts 2.42 says that the, the, the spirit-filled church of Pentecost was devoted to the apostles' teaching. Devoted. This is where we get our devotions. Our devotions are to be word-centered, word-saturated. And Paul encouraged Timothy to continue in what he had learned. Continue in what he had learned. And he said from whom he learned it, his mom and his grandma. Continue in what we've learned. Now, the admonition is for us too. We need to continue in what has been passed on to us. Continue in what we have learned. Holding forth the word of life. Jesus himself has the words of life. We need to continue in the scriptures. 
So we're going to take a, a couple of weeks uh, before Advent begins and concentrate on the Bible. We talked about the gospel, and now we're going to talk about the Bible. The Bible, what in the world does that term mean? Yeah, I thought so. No. Um, there are several terms. We call it the Bible. We call it the scriptures. Right? Bible. It's a New Testament word, biblos or biblios. I think I have terms here. Maybe. Can we advance one? There we go. Bible. It's not really an English word. I mean, we throw it around all the place, don't we? Have, uh, in fact, there are a lot of Bibles, right? A Bible for, well, I kind of prone toward firearms. There's a gun Bible. Whatever your interest, whatever your hobby, there's probably a Bible for it of some kind, right? A hand, we think of it as a handbook. But in general terms, the word is simply book, biblion, book from the New Testament. Scriptures comes from the Latin variation of it. Scriptura, the writings. Simply means the writings. Uh, another New Testament word um, that the Latin comes from is graphe. Graphe. You kind of hear graph paper in there? Right? The writings. Or grammata, the, the writings. You, you see like grammar in there or grammatical? Gramma. And we have just the, the basic word, word, logos. And, and the word logos is used of both the living word and the written word. We see this and we'll encounter this, I'm sure, in several weeks. John chapter 1, the great incarnation passage. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word dwelt among us. The living word revealed in the written word. And these are the terms, and it simply means book, writings, scriptures. These are holy scriptures, holy Bible. Now, a lot of other terms in the Bible itself. Wouldn't Psalm 119 be a fun scripture reading? There's 176 verses in Psalm 119. There's 22, I'll call them paragraphs, but it's a poem. It's a giant love poem. Uh, it was Sweetest Day not too long ago, and all of us guys wrote love poems to our sweetest, right? <laughs> I kind of forgot, actually. <laughs> we were traveling or something. Um, Psalm 119 is 176 verses grouped into eight verses each, 22 stanzas. Uh, one for each Hebrew letter of the alphabet, Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Dalet, Hey, Vav, Zion, Chet, and on it goes. Grouped in eight, and each line begins with the letter. The first letter of the first line begins with Aleph, if it's the first paragraph. It begins with Beit, or B, if it's the second paragraph, and on it goes. And Now there's debate. There's debate whether the Bible is referred to in every single 176 verses. Some old ancient Hebrew rabbis believed it did. I kind of settle in with them. 
But here's the words translated for us in English. The law, Torah, 25 times. Word, 24 times. Judgments, 23. Testimonies, 23. Commandments, 22. Statutes, 21. Precepts, 21. Another word for word. Two different words for word. If you're a poet, you've got to love it. 19 times. And then ways. Ways. 13 times. What, a, what a, a, a magisterial vocabulary we have for the Bible, the Word of God. And, you know, we, we see words like law, commandments, and we might think only Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, like the first five books of the Bible. But no, the, these become words, a general reference in many places for the whole of the Word of God, the revelation of God to his people. One more, Psalm 19. This is a classic Psalm too. And most of them are repeated. The laws, the testimonies, the precepts, the commandments, the rules. But look at, look at that second to last one, verse 9. The fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. Does that not just inform your whole idea of wisdom? What is the beginning of wisdom? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, says the proverb. Wow. You mean wisdom is going to come in part to the extent that I know the fear of the Lord. It's a synonym for God's word. I mean, and God's knowledge is like awesome, right? You want true wisdom, you'll gain it by fearing the Lord, by delving into his word. Well, these are the terms that are, are used in the Bible itself uh, for what we call the Bible. But back to our passage in 2 Timothy 3, there's, there's really a key word we're going to focus on for the most part. The, the, the scriptures, the Bible, comes from God comes from God, not from men or women or boys and girls or angels. It comes from God. And the word used here is, well, we, we translate it sometimes inspired. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God. The Legacy Standard Bible says just simply breathed, which is maybe, maybe better. All Scripture is breathed by God and profitable, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness that the man of God, we can say woman of God, boy, girl of God, might be complete, equipped for every good work. Breathed out, God breathed, inspired. And when we use the word inspire here as an act of God, we, we don't mean it only as we might think about the concert symphony. What an inspiring orchestral piece or uh, some other form of art that you might have seen at Art Prize. And although it could be challenging to find some that were inspiring, but there were some. 
that could be part of the beauty and the draw and the majesty of God and his word. But it's more than that. It's God breathed. And it, can we get just a little geeky, greeky geeky? It's, it's a compound word uh, that Paul put together. Theos, God, and neustos, spirit, wind, breath. Theonoustos. You know, think God, theos, right? Theo. Um, pneuma, spirit. God breathed. God breathed. Life is from the Creator. Life is in the Creator. In Genesis chapter 2, we have a, a second account of the creation narrative. And, and there God forms the first man out of the dust of the earth. Can you imagine being word-shaped? Right? God has no hands to shape and form. He, he forms by the word. Let there be a form in the dust, he says. And there's the form. And then the text says, the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and he breathed into his nostrils and the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. The breath of God is alive. The breath of God, I want to say resuscitates, but it suscitates. I mean, it brings to life that wasn't life at all. Out of nothing, he breathes and there's life. And this is how we began as a human race, the breath of God. Now, as God breathed into the first man from the dust of the earth and became a living soul, so we find life and fullness of life from the same breath of God. The same breath of God is whispered to us, is blown into our soul, into our being to give us life. Matthew records Jesus' words this way. Jesus is in spiritual warfare. He's combating the devil, like face-to-face -face encounters. And and he's been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And the devil comes to him and, and points out the, the, the smooth-looking rounded domes of stone in the desert and says to Jesus, and I paraphrase, boy, doesn't that almost look like a loaf of bread? Why don't you turn those stones into bread? And Jesus' response, Jesus' response is, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Life in the breath of God, the word of God. Life. I'm, go I'm, going, to, I'm going to rabbit trail myself, and there was a passage of Scripture I was reminded of in prayer time this morning just before the service, Ezekiel 37. This, this is our condition. Now, in Ezekiel, uh, at this point, the nation of Israel is, is 
in captivity. They're away from the land. But there's a hope of return. But their nation is basically gone and dead. But it's more than a physical reality. And the Lord tells Ezekiel, I want to show you a way to let them know there's a, there's a deeper spiritual reality underneath their physical condition. And so this becomes not only an application for the nation, it becomes an application for any of us who need life, spiritual life. So let me, allow me this, this extended reading. Ezekiel 37. The hand of the Lord was upon me. And he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. And it was full of bones. He led me around uh, among them and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. Behold, there were very dry. He said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, Oh, Lord God, you know. He said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to those bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and I will cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you'll know that I am the Lord So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound. Behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. And then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceeding great army, the host of heaven, resurrected bodies, here we are, and we've experienced in our, in our midst, in our church family, a significant loss, even in recent days. And we, we long for that physical resurrection. This, this is a hope, a promise of that to come when Jesus returns for us. But there is a resurrection that must happen before that one. Our, our, our being, our spirit, our soul is like these dried bones. There's nothing of life left to it. Dry, parched, cracked, scattered on the floor. 
But the breath of God, the word of God that, that comes through the prophecy, through oh, the Puritans I like to call, they, they called preaching prophesying. Speaking the word of God to the people. And when, when God's word comes from the corners, the four corners of the green pastures and beside the still waters, it brings life and vitality where there wasn't life before. The word brings life. This is what we need. And this is, this is why we need to take a few moments to remember and reflect upon this teaching about God's Word. In Him we live and move and have our being. You, you can't live on bread alone. And this, this isn't just Christians. This isn't just spiritual people. This, that's anybody. Nobody can live on bread alone. But that God would sustain them. What a, what a common grace to his created order. But we read, we read further in 2 Timothy and into chapter 4 of 2 Timothy that the day is coming when people won't listen to the word of God. They'll, they'll go for any other kind of message or talk or podcast or YouTube channel. I like them too. But they're no replacement for the Word of God, the breath of life. Another prophet, I, I'll delay myself again, uh, Amos. Did I save Amos? Yeah. Amos chapter 8. Same to the people of God of the Old Testament. Didn't listen to the word. And he, he says to, to, to the prophet and then to the people, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. I, I suspect, uh, and not of my own evaluation necessarily, but there's a famine in the land. There's a famine in our land. We, we can think geopolitical, national land. And we see, we see the, the gross immoralities of turning away from even basic things of God's order in his word. There's a famine in the land. But as we've read in Ezekiel and now Amos, what about you? Are your bones dry? Is there a famine in your own soul? A thirsting, a hungering? Oh, it's, you try to satisfy it with bread or chocolate or round halo-shaped confectionaries. They don't satisfy. 
And even if we think they satisfy, they do bad things to us. We need to find satisfaction in the Word of God. It's living water. Jesus alone has the words of life. This is the breath of God to breathe into you. And these, these scriptures are God-breathed. God-breathed. I know that there's natural revelation out there. The creation is beautiful. Nancy and I went for a walk yesterday afternoon and went to a, a place we hadn't been to since the kids were really little. And we remember pushing the stroller with one of them in there. Johnson Park. And you, you go the loop up and around and down. And the last time we, we did that, that loop, cars were actually able to drive around it. Not anymore. Now it's just funner. Funner? More fun. <laughs> I know there's natural revelation. Psalm 19 that we read earlier, or at least referred to earlier about the Word of God, begins with natural revelation, begins with the creation of, of the world. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. Still trying to figure out how daylight savings time going from day to night would reveal, but that's a man-made thing. There is no speech. There are no words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth. Their words to the end of the world, and in them he has set a tent for the sun. Yeah, natural revelation, but it's not enough. It's glorious, it's majestic, it's beautiful. It does reveal a creator God to us, even a redeeming God to us, but it isn't enough. And Paul picks up on this in Romans 1, verse 20. He says, God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that were made. And so there's no excuse. All creation is accountable to the God who made it. You are accountable to the God who made you. And there's no excuse. In the natural order, you see enough to know. To know. And respond one way or another. But Paul knows that even this, this part, revelation is wonderful, but you, you long for more. You, we need more. God's revealed himself to us in the wonders and beauties of creation, but there is more to know about him than you can discover in the wonders of creation. Oh, he's an infinite and eternal and unchangeable God. Infinite. We, we will always, always for eternity be learning new facets of God's character, nature, being. We won't get those through a created order, no. You see, when, when God breathed life into humanity, forming men and women in his image, remember, he, of all the creation, men and women are created in his image. Solely them. And, and breathing life into them and forming them in his image 
gave them words, speech, communication of all creation. Oh, yeah, there are other forms of communication. We, we love listening to the, the whale sounds, don't we? Whatever. But God of all creation has manifested his image in humanity and given us speech, words. And we live by his words. We, we live by his breath breathed to us. We need the words. He breathed them into us, a capacity for words, verbal communication, relationship, fellowship, our stewardship is dependent upon words. We, we all have different capacities. Chad and I were, were lamenting uh, earlier in the week our high school experience with English. And we both had a very similar experience. Oh, I shouldn't have even named his name because now that will impugn you and I shouldn't have done that. I did not do well with words and language in high school. And um, it, wasn't until, it wasn't until Bible training that it began to come together and, oh, that's a noun. <laughs> and nouns are objects. Oh, okay. And objects do things to other objects and they become direct objects. Okay. It wasn't really till I was reading the word. I didn't read a lot. I, I, it didn't it didn't sink in, it didn't resonate. Even, and I shared with you even a couple weeks ago in you know, preparing for evangelism, preparing the gospel, I, I've always struggled with scripture memorization. I mean, and maybe, maybe we all do, I don't know. It, you really have to, I have to work mechanically you know, to get those words in and I digress. Words of all, of all people, we were to be people of word and people of the book. We all have different capacities. Different capacities for reading, different capacities for grasping, but, but know this, that we all must be in God's word because that is what brings us life. Are you breathing deeply of the atmosphere of God's Spirit in His Word? Are you drinking deeply of the fountains of living water in the Bible? Are you feasting on the deep truths of God's Word, the meat and marrow of truth? God's Word is inspired. It's breathed out by God. He's the divine author. And he guided the human authors. Second Peter uh, puts, it, puts it this way. He gives us a description. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20. No, first of all, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own 
interpretation. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is Peter's way of talking about inspiration. And Peter has set for us a wonderful picture for us in West Michigan, living along uh, the lake, a sailboat. God is the divine author and his spirit, his, his living breath breathes into the sail of the human author. And the human author is carried along, moved by the Spirit of God, filled by the Spirit of God to pen the very words that God wants to communicate to you. His poem of affection to you. His letter of revelation of his love to you. It comes in various styles and forms of communication from poetry to lists. There's something in here that we all will gravitate to in form and content. And God's revealed himself to us in this. And all the words of Scripture are God's words. All the words are His. I was, I was, um, I was at uh, one of the local seminaries uh, years and years ago, and I was sitting in a class. It was a Hebrews class. And um, I was kind of an outsider to this particular institution. And um, the professor, we were in Hebrews, he talks about inspiration. What kind of inspiration do we hold to? And I just kind of blurted out, verbal plenary inspiration. I had the wrong answer. I didn't know it. And um, all the other students said, organic. Well, that sounds good, doesn't it? Who wouldn't want organic inspiration? Like, no salt, sugar, you know, no, no leaven, I don't know. Organic inspiration, N no. It's only partly true. Organic inspiration is a view that, well, just the ideas are inspired of God. Just the concepts are directly inspired by God. Not the very words. Verbal words, plenary, all of them, verbal plenary inspiration. All the words are God's words. These are the words God intended to communicate his truth to us. This is his word. Drink deep of it. Let's skip ahead. Um, to the end, the last slide. Here's, here's just the, the, a bit of application. There's, there's more to come. But the, the truth applied here is know that this is indeed the Word of God and that it is His very breath. And, and as it is His breath, the Word has the very same character and nature of Himself. It's true and trustworthy. It will not fail. And you can trust, you can devote yourself 
to the Word of God. Let's pray. Indeed, Lord, that is the heart desire that's intended here. Your words will not fail. They will accomplish all that they are intended to accomplish. Your word is full of promises. They are flowers of sweet fragrance and fruits refreshing flavor when we pick them by faith. So Lord, may we be made rich in its riches and strong in its power and may we be glad in its joy, abiding in its sweetness and feasting on its, its preciousness. And may we draw life and vigor from its, its manna, the bread of heaven. Lord, increase our faith and our devotion to this, your word. Amen.